Welcome to Consumer Adventures. My name is Giorgia Pasqualetto, and in this podcast, I bring you behind the scenes of emerging challenger consumer brands. So today I'm joined by Pepe and Luke, the co-founders of Pink Albatross. Pink Albatross is based in Madrid, Spain, and they make creamy ice creams without artificial ingredients, milk, eggs, or soy. Um, welcome, Pepe and Luke. Thank you so much for coming to the show today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so why don't we start by introducing both of you? So can you tell us a bit more about yourselves, your background uh, before Albatross and your role in the company now as well? You go first. Okay. Um, this is Luke. Hi, everyone. Um, well, I have a uh, marketing background in um, consumer goods. I worked for Kimberly Clark and for L'Oreal in the marketing functions and sales function as well. And then I spent the 12 years after that uh, working for Citibank in, um, in consumer banking in different marketing roles in customer experience and uh, research and insights. And um, about three years ago, I decided to shake things up um, and make, make life a little bit more interesting. And um, I, gave up my, yeah, I gave up my corporate job, which I was very happy with, but I just found something a lot better and interesting to do, which is making a plant-based ice cream. It just sounded a lot more enticing. And I've been uh, working with Pepe on this project for the last three years, approximately. Absolutely. Well, hello, I'm, I'm Pepe. I'm, uh, I have a sort of, some sort of a similar path, not so much focused on marketing as Luke, so I was mainly focused on sales, on uh, in the in the sales of financing, and of of course also sales of uh, equipment, uh, construction equipment and agricultural equipment, so tractors, excavators, and all those those sexy things. Right. Um, and I had a responsibility for seven countries when I decided to quit my job because I was traveling too much, and I had a, a very very small daughter. Uh, Emma, who actually was had several uh, food allergies, so she was allergic to dairy, allergic to eggs, and allergic to several other things. And uh, she was uh, on my end, my my inspiration to found Pink Calvatros together with Luke. So I quit my job without knowing what to do, and. Uh, Across that uh, journey, after quitting the job on, and trying to find what to do, I actually stumbled upon Luke and said, "Oh, we have uh, we have different backgrounds, but we need to actually join forces and get to and, and get our forces together and, and and be able to launch a new product into the market." And that's how we started working together. That's that's very interesting, and it's very nice to see this combination of different skills coming together. In, uh, in this project. Um, so before going into uh, the, the product itself, I've uh, given away some hints already, but I'm very curious about the company name and the logo, obviously, uh, Pink Albatross. Is there a particular reason or story behind the company? Yeah, there's, there's, the there's definitely a story behind that. Um, you know, when we set out to, to um, name the brand or create a brand, um, there's, there's a certain things that we wanted um, to, to comply with or to fulfill. You know, we wanted the name to be memorable, likable, um, something that people would recognize and something that would stand out, right? So it couldn't be something standard. It just had to be something that, you know, when you're reading like perhaps a list of long brand names and you come across Pink Albatross, it makes you stop and it makes you think a little bit. So we knew that we knew that it had to fulfill this criteria of being mysterious, quirkiness, or having a certain quirkiness to it. And the name per se actually comes um, part of it comes from what the product stands for, and part of it comes for what we stand for. So the name, so the word pink, 
Um, it what it means is pink, as you probably know, in English has a connotation or has a connotation of, of, of you know, someone that has pink cheeks is someone that's healthy, right? Um, so our product is clean label. So in that sense, it's a product that's um, good for you. And uh, we said, well, it's it can certainly be pink. So we should definitely call it pink. So that was one, that was 50% of the challenge fulfilled. And, and you know, the bird albatross um, was something that was actually quite interesting to us. Um, and in a way it represented us because the albatross is a bird that has the ability to fly thousands of miles a day. And it's it's known for leaving its typical nesting grounds and, and um, flying, you know, large distances. Um, and both Pepe and me were immigrants where we live in Spain, but we're originally from Argentina and from India, um, on exact corners of the world. And uh, we met here to, to embark on this venture. So in a way, you know, we were like albatrosses and we saw the bird uh, as, 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 as a figure that represented our stories as, as immigrants. That's so interesting. I really like it. So the name both represents yourselves, your stories, but also the the main feature of the uh, of the product. It's it's great. I really really like it. You mentioned already some of the features of the product that are important, such as clean label. Um, so tell us a, a little bit more about the product itself and um, the concept, uh, the concept as well. Well, you are the creator of the product, look. So okay. you, you should you should actually. Be so you know, the, I, I, I think. <laughs> Pepe made reference to this earlier, and this goes back to why we started this project. Um, I'm a vegan, so I was, you know, I'm always looking for products that are dairy-free, egg-free, or just free of any animal ingredients. And Pepe, uh, Pepe's daughter, um, has a lot of different allergies, so he was also searching for products or ingredients that were suitable for her. And where we both typically found a lot of difficulty was when it came to desserts, because desserts are typically you know, they contain eggs, milk, cream, butter, and gluten, right? Um, which a lot of people are, are allergic to or are intolerant to. Mm -hmm. So we had this problem, you know, this common problem. And we said, you know, if we solve this problem, we'll be solving it for people that are looking to, 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 to follow a plant-based diet, as well as people that are looking to um, avoid, you know, um, um, allergies or, or, or things like that. So I think that was the genesis of the product and it was a condition for product development. It had to be um, 100% plant-based. It had to be free of um, allergens. Um, that, was in the, that was in the beginning. And of course, it also had to be clean label because both Pepe and me were, were particular about what we eat, were the types of consumers that when you go into supermarket, you spend a lot of time looking really at the back of the pack more reading than the front the of the pack. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. reading the ingredients. So for us, it was um, it was it, it was just a natural extension because we said it doesn't make sense for us to make a product that's not clean label when we are actually you know we're particular about what we eat. So the clean label um, attribute just followed on naturally, um, sure. if you will. So you know we are a plant based product, but most importantly, I think what we're really driving home is flavor and texture. It is an indulgent mm. product after all. Yeah. And, you know, however good it might be for you or healthy it might be for you or allergen free that it might be, if it doesn't taste good, um, if the texture isn't right, there's, you know, there's no point, people aren't going to buy it. So our, 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 our first and foremost attribute is taste and texture. Um, and we actually find that our, our, our plant-based positioning and our clean label positioning actually 
help to drive that because you know we we, we don't put in artificial ingredients or um, like like flavorings or aromas or anything like that. So what happens as a natural consequence is you are we use more of the original ingredient uh, because there are no boosters, if you will. So we're using generous quantities of mango in our ice cream. We're using generous quantity of hazelnuts. So that brings out the natural flavor in all of our in all of our ice cream. So flavor and texture first. We're a flavor first company. We're plant based. We're clean label, clean label, and we're free from except for nuts, which we're still trying to work around because our our product is nut based. This is very, very interesting. And I really like the uh, focus on flavor. Uh, flavor for sure is king and, and on texture as well. Um, I'm wondering, is it a challenge or at least was it a challenge at the beginning to figure out how to deliver on this just using natural and super clean label ingredients? <laughs> that can take forever to answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're, you're absolutely right. Um, and... and um, You know, we don't work with the large majority of, of the companies that offer flavorings or ingredients because, you know, they're either not plant-based or they're not clean label or they're not free from, right? So mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely a challenge, but I think that challenge has served us uh, to define an identity and define a product that's become unique in the marketplace because we haven't, we've created something that's, that's unique and it's not off the shelf. Um, so I think, yes, there's a good side to that. Um, there's also a bad side to that because it's a pain in the neck to be able to find ingredients. But the good side is because these constraints are so important, they actually end up defining your product and making it so unique that it's difficult to, to replicate. This is so, so powerful. Defining your brand, um, your brand yeah. identity, yeah. offering something unique uh, and go basically beyond the obstacles um, traditionally found in the category. This is, uh, this is absolutely brilliant. Um, what would you say were the main uh, challenges, uh, especially at the beginning and especially coming from, um, not coming from a food background? Every single one you can imagine. <laughs> absolutely every single one of it. Uh, from the fact that we didn't know how to actually, or who were the actual uh, suppliers of ingredients. Right. Uh, trying to look for a co-packer, understanding what were the quality measures that we should look at when choosing a co-packer. Uh, what are the aspects that of the internal processes that we had to validate. Uh, and of course, then actually the actual commercialization of the product to the different channels. Um, and and the, main, the main thing that we did is that we partnered with different people. Uh, we... Mm -hmm. We understood very well. We 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 are we are old. Come on, we are we, we are old guys. We are 44 and 43, so we know which battles we can fight and we know which battles we need support for. And and in that case, we were very conscious very early that we didn't know a lot, and in order to be able to overcome those uh, those challenges, we needed to partner with people. So we either partnered with companies mm -hmm. uh, that support different aspects of the processes that we go through. And we have also been able to hire some people who know very well uh, FMTG, uh, who know very well the food, uh, the food business. And, and they actually, we have been able to sort of uh, convince them to join our company and, and say that, yes, they want to drive Pink Calvatros to the next level together with us. So, and those are the key people who form part of our team, uh, which uh, among others, we have uh, Alvaro, Vania and Carmen, who are the key The, the key people on, on, on our team that are taking the brand to the next level. 
And I think I just wanted to highlight something that Pepe said. Um, I think we've done a few things right. Um, naming the brand was one of them. And I think <laughs> one of the other things that we did, did right was acknowledging our shortcomings and our limitations and finding people to help fill those knowledge gaps. Mm -hmm. But no moment did we absolve ourselves and say, okay, they're the experts. I'm going to listen to them. Of no, course. it mm -hmm. was more about... I don't know this now. It's going to take me too long to learn about it. So I'm going to rely on someone else to guide me for now while I develop my knowledge and competencies. Absolutely. That's very interesting. And I think that's always, that's the path that we followed from day one. Um, because as you said, we don't know anything about ice cream and we did, and we, and we did, and we do rely on outside food scientists uh, and our co-packers. But over time, we've also made sure to learn so we can also participate and understand, you know, why we're doing certain things and not just go blindly on the guidance of others. Absolutely. Well, what we did is with these partners, what we were doing is we were building our own criteria. Yeah. So uh, and the, get, getting that criteria, we needed some support in terms of okay, what are the things that we should look at? It's not you, you do the job, but OK, what do we need to pay attention to? Uh, and in some cases, okay, we've we've actually absorbed that knowledge, and we are doing that. We're doing it ourselves. But in most cases, we're also relying on some of the people who will not only support us with these those guiding principles, but also they will execute part of part of the plan, which is quite relevant for us. That's that's a very great attitude, and it's a very very interesting point. I think I think is a is a delicate balance there. Um, I was wondering how long did it take from uh, you coming up or deciding on the product uh, of, or, or starting this um, and actually having a product ready? Prototype or, or first launch? Uh, both of them. So I think that I, the genesis of the idea was January of 2018. The mm -hmm. first prototype was June of 2018. Yeah. Um, and the first launch was a year later from June 2018. So June 2019. And in terms of the first sales, uh, how did you start uh, selling the products? What channels did you did you choose? Okay, so basically we 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 had to choose our our channels very wisely at the beginning. Uh, first, because we we are we were very much in hypothesis mode and testing mode, mm -hmm. and also because we wanted to check, we wanted to gather as much information as possible regarding the success of or the success or the failure of the product in the marketplace. So, uh, so we chose two main channels, and we chose both channels within the vegan segment, and mm -hmm. we chose specialized stores, so vegan stores mainly. And then, of course, vegan restaurants. Uh, and the reason why we chose those two is basically because you usually have an owner, a person who is who is actually heading that that establishment, mm -hmm. and it was quite simple to get that first contact with that person and getting that person to try the product. And in case that they like the product, it's quite easy for you to get listed. It's not the same thing trying to go to Carrefour or, or, or Tesco or whichever uh, retail chain and uh, without having experience in the market and trying to have a value proposition for, proposition for those people and, uh, and without enough cash on the on the on the uh, in um, in your wallet, you will not be able to have the right proposal for those guys. So first, we wanted to do is we want to test. So we want to test small 
we want to risk as as low as possible but really gather some data on okay is, is it working is it rotating does people like it does people want to repeat etc so with that in mind we're launching in madrid and madrid only with about i think it was 15 clients at the beginning uh, between restaurants and small stores uh, and we started delivering the product at a very high price point um, and when we saw that there was a repurchase rate that's when we said okay we are ready for the next phase let's put some more money in and we are going to boost in that sense so we went to barcelona we went to some other little big cities in spain uh, where we knew that we could actually still enter the market through that segment of vegan stores, vegan restaurants, uh, because that was the easiest, the easiest ones to convince and where the need for a product like ours was more evident. Okay, and then when all of that actually happened, that's when we actually moved to the next level. And uh, nowadays we are in some, in some uh, regional retailers, which are not vegan, which are just general retailers that you can walk by and enter without any difficulty. And uh, they're very well known and uh, and that's when that's where we are now testing the uh, the rotation at th that kind of point of sale, which is very different from the one that we are the where we started some years ago. Definitely, definitely, um, quite different. Um, and you mentioned this uh, sort of channels that are quite physical. So I was wondering um, how did COVID um, impacted on uh, on all of this and on your business? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> COVID changed everything for us uh, in, in many ways and actually was extremely positive for us because mm -hmm. uh, it allowed us the time to think because we were not selling at all. <laughs> Basically, our co-packer at the moment, which is not the, our current co-packer, mm -hmm. closed down. So we didn't uh. have any access to both manufacturing facility or stock. Right. So we couldn't sell at all. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that was is it great? Okay, we cannot sell. What can we do? And we started thinking about the business again. So we did a couple of things. First is we managed to raise a finance round, which was very relevant for us to, to be able to have the right tools and, and the right people in the business this year. And, uh, and that was last year when we actually raised a round. Um, second is we, we reviewed, okay, our current co-packer at the moment. So they are very small, very artisanal. We need to scale, and how do we scale? So we did it. We need a different copacker with different capabilities. So that led us to actually search for a different copacker with a different capabilities, and also we had to reformulate the ice cream a little bit to fit that different machinery. Uh, and also we said, okay, we need to also have a differentiated facilities. One is the copacker, another one is where we keep the stock. <laughs> so we actually have to diversify our risk. And, and so those are all the things that we've done on top of one last one, which was very relevant, and is dropping the price. As I told you, we, we, we launched at a very high price. Uh, I wanted to see how it rotated. Uh, we launched at, in Spain, 890 euros, which is extremely premium. Mm. Uh, and nowadays we are at 690. Um, and that was because we understood that we wanted to have a product that was uh, appealing and feasible for most most of the people here to buy. Uh, and for that reason, we couldn't keep a super premium, uh, a super premium pricing. Um, and also we knew that in order to increase our volume and to increase our presence in the market, we needed to have an, an appealing price. So that's why we also dropped our price following our strategy of living in the future and right? living, not living, but not only focusing on vegan stores and vegan restaurants, mm -hmm. but also trying to expand our presence 
to a more generalistic uh, mass consumer customer. The mainstream, for sure, for sure. What, what is your ideal target? Do you mostly target vegan consumers or um, also other kinds of kinds of consumers? Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't say we have a few consumer segments that we're trying to address. Um, the vegans are obviously one of them, but they're not the most interesting. And I'll tell you why, because they're not the, they're not from a, from a business opportunity size. Mm -hmm. It's not the biggest because vegans are, 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 are few, you know, they're, they're niche, just 0.7, yeah. 0.6% of the population. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, what's much more interesting are, are, are people that are flexitarian. So people that yes. are trying to adopt a plant-based diet, but they're mm -hmm. not there yet. Um, that's quite an interesting number. And then if you look at, at the, if you look at the population that's either lactose intolerant or are, are celiac or are interested in gluten-free products, you know, we're talking about typically in Europe, anywhere from maybe 30 to 45% of the population. So that's an interesting, that's an interesting number right there, right? So We're targeting each of these segments in different ways and using different communications. So right. those are those are the consumer targets that we're after. And you know, if the ice cream is good, if it's tasty, if it's attractive, it's if it's attractively priced um, and it's available, it's really suitable for anybody that's looking for a premium ice cream. So you know, there's there's no there's no we, we don't want to be we don't want to be exclusive for a particular customer segment. We want, we want it to be accessible to anybody who, who wants to consume a good product. Absolutely, yes. Flexitarian is for sure the, the segment that is the most, uh, the most interesting. And in terms of a future vision for, for the company, for the ranges, um, what, what are the next plans? So, you know, the ice cream category is quite a big category. Um, there's many different formats, there's different channels. And if we just, if you go to the supermarket, you'll see that there's ice cream tubs, like pint-sized tubs, but there's also individual size or individual portion um, ice cream, be it in the form and shape of cones, sandwiches, bars, mm -hmm. um, single serve cups. So that, and that's really where the market is. The market isn't so much as in, in, in the tubs. The, the tubs, tubs, yes, yeah. these are important, but it's really in the other product formats. So we see moving into those product formats as a natural extension. There's still a lot of work to be done in terms of tubs, in terms of flavors. And to that end, you know, we launched five flavors this year. Uh, we had four flavors last year. Now we're up to nine. And we're also working on a different size format. But moving into cones, bars, sandwiches, I think that's, that's very interesting for, from a category perspective. And then looking beyond, you know, if you look at the dessert category, it has the same challenges that ice cream does. You know, it's, it's full of animal products and it's yeah. full of allergens, right? Um, there's, there's, there's dairy in, in, in the shape and form of cream, milk, there's eggs, there's butter. There's of course gluten because of the flour. So there's, there's definitely an interesting potential in the desserts category. And, you know, we see, we see it quite feasible and possible to expand the, concept and the franchise sure. into other product categories for sure for sure you mentioned desserts you mentioned also different kinds of ice cream i'm thinking for example different formats would have for example the cone or other elements to it uh, where you can 
kind of cleaned recipe. It's very, very interesting. Um, you also have or follow a concept basically that I really, really like, which is you only use um, ingredients that you uh, can draw. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, this, this principle? <laughs> well, actually, that came at the very beginning of, of our of our search for, for a positioning. And uh, what we wanted to do is, okay, we, we wanted to avoid all the artificial flavorings, the aromas, and all of those ingredients that actually, when you are trying to draw a, maltodext a maltodextrin or when you're trying to draw a methyl cellulose, you have no idea what you're talking about. Now try drawing a cashew nut or a mango or, or a coconut oil or something I'm like that. not a great drawer, but I think I could. So. Yeah, okay, but that depends on the quality. I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm horrible at drawing. <laughs> but, but basically what we wanted to do is, is basically it's, it's how to transmit that we are using the most natural ingredients we can find in a way that is understandable by every single person. And, and that's why we chose this path of actually, okay, what, what happens if we draw our ingredients? I said, yes, because our, our ingredients are easy to pronounce and they can be drawn because it's something that you, you can actually see, touch, and, and interact with easily at an, at an, in, in, every, in, in everybody's homes. And that's, uh, that's what, that was our key driver, choosing, choosing our positioning. And, uh, and in, in that extent, that's, uh, that's something that we do very, uh, very clearly in our packaging. So besides listing the ingredients, which everybody has to do, is we have one specific section, which is almost one third of the, of the packaging, where we basically draw every single ingredient that we use. Uh, but even beyond that, we want to be as transparent as possible. So we also, do, we also have a QR code. Uh, on on our packaging that if you scan it you basically get more information on the ingredients why do we use it what is it made for etc 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 so then you actually going to get even more information that the drawing so the listing plus the drawing plus the qr gives the consumer total transparency of what we're using and why is there some initiative or some activity um, that worked really well uh, that you implemented in your in your brand uh, that some other uh, entrepreneurs could take inspiration from? In what sense? I'm thinking some campaign or some partnership or some uh, activity that you did that, I don't know, for example, increased the awareness a lot or um, really moved the business forward that you had an aha moment and you thought, okay, this really, really worked. I uh, I think that so far is well. There, there have been quite several moments of where actually we, we we understood better who we are fighting against. But actually, it's uh, it's been first of all, it's been aware that besides what you are doing, the competition is doing a lot of things too. So don't forget mm. about that. that's key. Uh, you think you're innovating? They are doing the same thing. Right. They're all innovating. Uh, but I think one of the key aha moments for us, uh, uh, at least on the commercial side, was understanding that you need full knowledge of the channels that you want to actually right. start with, uh, especially when you're dealing with modern retails or supermarkets. It's not that easy to get into supermarkets and be successful there. Uh, and it's not just the fact that you get the central listing from any anybody who actually makes the decision, yes, I like you, I like your product, I'm going to list it. Then that's where the work actually starts. 
need to go to the stores. You need to have the product on the shelves. You have you need to have them positioned right. You need to understand what the competition is doing on the shelves, and that takes a huge amount of resources that you need to account for. Uh, and that's something that many times is overlooked, at least for us at the beginning, uh, until we actually got the right people on the team who 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 flagged that out, that fl- mm. flagged that out to us, said, okay, we didn't thought of that, we didn't think it was that relevant, but it actually was extremely, extremely relevant. Now, regarding right. awareness, I think there's also a couple of activities that we've done, especially with influencers. Uh, mm. That worked very well. And uh, what we've seen is as influencers are eager for content, they, they want to have content, mm-hmm. uh, but they also want to have cool content. <laughs> so it's of not course. just the fact that you send them the product, but if mm-hmm. the product actually looks cool, looks nice, it's actually something worth taking a picture with. with that a you picture. want to share. Yeah. Uh, and you actually take care of those people who are sharing their reach with you. So you need you need to actually have something for them so that they they understand that it's not just the fact that you're asking them for for just reach, but you're actually caring about them and you actually want to work with them towards the future. And that's that's something that was that was also a, a quite a relevant breakthrough. And uh, our and our results working with with influencers has increased a lot when we actually realized that and actually took care of of those people who were giving us. Uh, that that amount of 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 reach and and, and awareness and engagement with their communities uh, that we actually have increased our 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 presence in social media. That's very very interesting. What um, platforms are you are you using? Um, mainly Instagram, uh, mm-hmm. and then on re- residually uh, Facebook and uh, LinkedIn for business purposes. But you know our target, our consumer target, really is on on Instagram. Right. Very so, very interesting. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. So that's where we're paying the most. That that's where we're we're, we're um, dedicating the most focus to. That totally makes sense. You want to be where your consumer is. Um, I know that you joined the ProVeg Incubator in 2019. Um, so I wanted to ask you: Can you tell us a bit more about what ProVeg is and uh, about your experience there as well? So ProVeg um, is. It's 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 a it's an incubator program as the as the as the name um, suggests. It's the first of its kind, I believe, in the world, if not most certainly so in Europe. And we joined the third cohort, so we had just launched. I believe it was the third cohort. We had just launched. Um, they had just launched their program, I think, about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And I think what was interesting for us was we were newcomers to the food space because we had no relevant food background. So it was um, a great way to get to know people in the space, people that are setting up, that are setting up their own companies, their own startups, that are going through similar challenges. So it, it, it was great from that perspective. But we also got to meet a lot of people um, that were in the industry. So people in the sales functions, people in uh, the research and development functions, people um, that know that are food that are food scientists, people that know production and manufacturing. And of course, what was really important for us was also ProVeg was a way or a potential way to meet um, investors. And that's actually how we met one of our investors. It was at the, at the demo day or the pitch day, uh, which was the last day of the program um, in which we had to present to potential investors. And that's, where, that's how we met our, our, one of our current investors. Right, that's very interesting. And uh, the incubator is in Berlin, right? So Correct. it's outside yeah. of, of Spain. 
Yes, and we were required to be there. I think it was a three-month program, and we were required to be there for in 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 person four weeks. Sure. And how come you went abroad, so outside of Spain to Germany, um, f- for incubation and for this kind of activity? You know, I th- Spain has changed a lot. I think in the last two and a half years, in mm-hmm. that sense. Um, the food space, the inc- the incubator space, the, the the there's there's many many more developmental programs now yeah. that there were just two and a half or three years ago. Um, so that's why I think we looked outside. We were also looking for a way to accelerate, yeah. and it just seemed to make a lot of sense because they focused on plant based companies. So there sure. was that fit, mm-hmm. and uh, you know they were looking at uh, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. This was very specialized. So I think that that's that's the main reason why we went. Totally, totally makes sense. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, next, where I would like to go is a little bit more into um, some more personal question. And I wanted to ask uh, each of you if you have always known that you wanted to start your own companies and um, be entrepreneurs. Uh- no, okay, I go, I go first. <laughs> uh, I, no, for me, no, no way. Uh, I was uh, I was extremely happy at some time in mm-hmm. my life uh, working for somebody else, having my paycheck every single month. Uh, uh, that was extremely comfortable. And, uh, and I was actually quite successful with my professional life. So actually I was not thinking about, about developing a brand or a web product by myself or having a company. Uh, but that that changed with uh, my trigger, which was Emma, um, mm-hmm. my 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 oldest daughter. So when when she had those uh, those allergies, that's when okay, I need to find something. And when you are unable to find something on the market, you said okay, how how can we actually build it by ourselves? And that's that was my my trigger on okay, I want to do something, I wanna, and I want that something to have an impact on people's life. Mm-hmm. So it really came out of need and out of love as well. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I think in my case, um, I think I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but for some reason, I just subdued those feelings. And um, I'm not sure what it was. Maybe it was just a a lack of uh, risk-taking ability or it was just, you know, trying to stick with the known. But I, I, I don't think that corporate life was ever cut out for me. And don't get me wrong, I enjoyed it, but there was just no connection to um, the output. There was no connection to the purpose. Of, no purpose. Absolutely. Yeah, of what you were doing every single day for so many hours, and you know, I, I really, I, I owe a lot to corporate life, uh, and I really enjoyed it, and I learned so much. And I think part of the reason why we're we've managed to survive into year three, a lot of that we owe to our corporate experience. But in my personal case, I, you know, there wasn't that connection um, that that I needed to feel fulfilled. So there came a point in time where I just, you know, examined my thoughts, I examined, you know, what I want to do with the rest of my life. And I said, at some point in time, you're going to have to take the risk. And I, f- I think I mustered the courage to take that risk. And now I'm here and I'm grateful for that. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's very beautiful. And uh, did you ever look back on, on that decision or perhaps more, more interestingly, what um, what keeps you going when uh, you encounter some challenges or where, when things are not easy, basically? I don't think I've looked back even once. And for me, I think all the hardships have, 
I think they've, they've, it's, if anything, they've just made me want to delve more into the business um, because it just makes me think that, you know, if, if this is how hard it's going to be to be an entrepreneur, then very few people are, are going to be successful. Mm. So that's all the more reason why we have to be more committed and, and, and try and get this, um, get this problem resolved. So for me, it's been just the contrary. It's just served as, as, as a motivation uh, to further. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, but it is it is a roller coaster. I mean, it's, a, it's a, sometimes you have all the adrenaline, and then you're extremely happy, then you're extremely depressed because something didn't go right. But but the thing is that uh, both those feelings, I mean, they when 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 you actually put one on top of the other, then you see that basically the the the, the sum of the two is is always positive, and uh, and that's what keeps you moving forward and actually wanting to to develop even more and want to do more and want to achieve more uh, and um, we we both we are both extremely extremely um, uh, I say ambitious in what we want to achieve and and uh, exigentes how do you say exigentes? demanding demanding we are extremely demanding on what we want to do mm. and uh, that with that in mind, it says we we are not we are not stopping and we are not looking back. It's sometimes you can think about oh I was so happy or I was it was so great to have those those euros getting getting into our account every single month without without that much effort. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but at the end, it says yes, but there were sad euros. It was not <laughs> not happy euros. <laughs> they were not enjoyable euros. <laughs> mm-hmm. So at the end, it said no, I will not go back. Uh, but it was uh, but it, but it was extremely needed. Uh, I, I think that without that corporate experience, as, as Luke was saying, probably we wouldn't be here. Um, and it's ex- it's a key for for learning, I think, for every single person. I mean, going through a corporate life is is extremely useful. For sure, and also in, in the positions where you were, so sales, marketing, for sure, it helped a lot. Uh, I'm imagining to to build yep. the business. Absolutely, absolutely, without mm-hmm. So if you were to give one piece of advice to somebody who's about to start their own uh, food and drink uh, brand, what would you tell them? Launch, test, react, <laughs> and learn. Yeah, I would, I, would say, I would say just start because yeah. too many people get trapped up in or trapped in the ideation or the concept mm. phase. And um, I mean, yes, you need to go through that, but you need to limit it in time because ultimately, you know, you have to get your product out because everything prior to that moment is just theory. It's only when the product hits the store shelves, is in the right packaging, in the right price, in the right format, in the right place, does the game really begin. Everything up until that point is just preparation. Yeah. Makes total sense and is uh, something definitely that I'm hearing a lot from uh, from entrepreneurs, just start, don't yeah. overthink it, start and, uh, and produce. Um, and in your experience so far, what does it take to be a food entrepreneur and build a brand in this sector? I think tenacity is one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yes. that, and that, not, that applies not only to food entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. but just in, in, I think life in general and most certainly so as an entrepreneur. So that I would put that at the top sure. of the list. And, At least for me. Uh, and and yeah, but the, besides the, the personal aspect on, on what you need, what we need to put in is also and try to surround with people who know a lot more than you, because yeah. there's, there's a tons of those. And uh, and without them, it's it's very, very difficult to actually succeed in anything, not just entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is one thing. But I mean, get those people, get that knowledge. Uh, 
profit from that and give back to those people who actually were so kind to help you at, at the beginning of your of your path as an entrepreneur or at, at, at any stage uh, of you as an as an entrepreneur or as a person because you need to surround with people who are better than you and and that's extremely extremely important for your own development yeah for sure you mentioned a lot uh, the the human aspect the people the expertise um, of people um, in, uh, in in your business. And I was wondering, uh, is there a, a strong entrepreneurship uh, startup uh, founders ecosystem in, uh, in Spain or do you look internationally as well? How does that work? My feeling is that it's progressed quite a bit in the last two or three years. As I said before, you count the corporate venture <laughs> programs that are being launched, um, the incubator programs that are being launched, the whole startup ecosystem um, ha, I think has seen a has seen a boom. Yeah. It, it, traditionally, I think it used to be uh, um, a technological innovation okay. yeah. uh, driven startup ecosystem, but I think that's changing now, and we're seeing a lot of a lot of activity in the food space. Mm-hmm. And, and, and another another thing that is relevant, I think, uh, food food entrepreneurs. We we know each other. We talk to mm. each other. We, we learn from each other regarding, okay, what's working, what's not working, uh, which retail chain is more open to innovation, which are not, et cetera. And that's, that's extremely, extremely relevant to, to avoid making, to avoid wasting, wasting time mostly. And that's, that's, that's key for us. Yes, it's very beautiful and very useful. And in terms of your company culture, how would you describe that? And do you have a principle or uh, a motto that you run the company by? Thoughtful disagreement has to be. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a, there's a principle that was uh, coined by um, Ray Dalio. Ray Dalio is a famous investor. Mm. Uh, and he, he, he calls it, he calls it um, thoughtful disagreement. Mm-hmm. Essentially what it is, um, I think there's two parts to this concept. Um, there's, you know, on one hand, you know, you have to be able to um, receive criticism for an idea that you've posed or you've presented. So, you know, you have to, you have to be uh, ready to accept a different point of view. So it requires your ego to be curbed or contained. So, you know, you don't get hurt all the time. Um, and you have to be ready to renounce your idea for something better. And on the other hand, I said there's two parts. The second part is I think you have a- an obligation when you're receiving an idea to help that person see something that he hasn't seen. Um, mm-hmm. So you can take his idea and make it even better. And I think that's that, that for us, I think in, 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 in an essence, that what, that's what constructive or thoughtful disagreement is all about. It's about me making your idea better and you letting me make your idea better and vice versa. And building on each other. That has embedded humility, that has embedded collaborative mode, that has uh, embedded uh, an, an, uh, a searching or, a, or, a, or an, an entrepreneurial spirit because you need to be willing to learn. You need to be willing to understand that there's something beyond your own existence and what you're thinking of. So that's for us is I think that 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 single value it drives many of the other values of the company that that uh, that we want to transmit to our employees and to the people consuming our products too of course. That's that's very powerful. Thank you very much for for sharing this and um thank you very much for for your time today. 
Uh, it was a real uh, pleasure to, to have you on the show. If our listeners want to get in touch or interact with you and the brand, uh, where can they find you? Um, they can reach out to us, to us through the website, so um, through the contact form or info at pinkalbatross.com or reach out to Pepe and me through LinkedIn or social media. Or, yeah, any, or Instagram, yeah, whatever. Or Instagram, yeah. Any of those channels work for us. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much. It was, it was so much fun. Thank you, Georgia. Georgia. Thank, Thank you. you. Pleasure. Thank you. Get to see me.